Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Priest of Copper Beach Financial Group. Gentlemen, how are you today? Doing good. Doing good, Eric. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. I know this is a part two of a two-part series, uh, and you've got Jeff Savlov joining us again to continue the conversation. What are you guys talking about today? Well, we're going to talk today about, we're going to pick up from where we left off in in, uh, last podcast and talk about governance and, and Jeff maybe get into a little bit more detail from uh, from what we talked about last time, which I thought was a really good primer on this concept of, of family governance. So first off, thank you again for being on uh, the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Always fun. All right. So let's let's pick up from where we left off. Uh, one one thing that w- that I was always trying to think about is is what if a family is trying to focus on on sort of this governance creation, what, what areas should they be looking at I- I- within their own life mm-hmm. or family? Yeah. So, so there's the family and there's the, the, the business or the management of, of assets for families, again, that might not even have um, an operating business. I like to keep making that point and that it's not just about businesses, but right. just legacy wealth um, is like a business in so many ways. And it's important for families to, to, to remember that even if they don't have an, op- an operating business, maybe there was one that was sold and now there's inherited wealth going from generation to generation. The need is still there for governance and leadership and joint decision making. So in either of those situations, there's the family piece, there's the top management or top leadership, and then there's the the owners, the legal owners. So the family, you know, you, you have family assemblies are aspects of, of governance and a family assembly can be like a massive family reunion. And even people that have nothing to do with the business, but are interested in the legacy of what grandpa or great grandma started can be involved in an assembly. Um, and then there's other aspects to uh, an assembly, which we can talk about in a bit, um, that bring in sort of the business or management of assets. Family councils are a part of the family piece. So again, the three areas are family, top management, and owners. Under family, you know, family assemblies, family councils, which we can talk about in more detail. There's the top management um, piece, and then there's the owners uh, who elect the board. And the board is there to oversee and work with top management and hold them accountable. Um, and the owners, um, you know, interface with the board. Ideally, the board is not um, all owners or all family owners, um, but that there are outsiders on the board. That's something I don't believe I said in part one that I want to make clear is that for boards to be really effective, you need to have some outsiders uh, on them. And having a majority of outsiders, I think, is a, is a great way to go. And once families get comfortable with the idea of a board, um, having outside members makes a difference. But those are the three areas, family, the top management, and the ownership group. You know, when you're going through all this, Jeff, which is, I mean, it's really, I think, enlightening to to look at a family a family business, but as you mentioned, not just a, a family business, sort of in this context of having these formal governance processes in place. But I can I, I can certainly see a listener that's that's maybe hearing you talk about this and say, Man, this sounds like a really formal process to put together. Uh, I'm maybe not there yet. Uh, so my my next question would be: Is there what what size of family or business or you know when when do these processes start to really 
make a lot of sense for a family. Yeah. So for me, the sooner the better. And I wonder if you guys agree, but it can be as I simple concur. as you concur. Thanks. Uh, it's as simple as, as, as parenting, which is something we talked about on a previous podcast, uh, all the yeah. three of us, um, parenting. And I, I do a talk that is more or less entitled, you know, parenting as family business, family wealth governance. Um, when you start to raise kids that are not entitled, that work hard, that are accountable, that even if they grow up in a really big house with drivers and private planes, they still can pick weeds or shovel the driveway. They can still take care of themselves. That's a form of governance because those are the people that may or may not be leaders or workers uh, in, in the company down the road. So while it does sound really formal and it could be something that can you know easily be just sort of dismissed as we don't need that or that's too formal for us, it can be as simple and informal as basic parenting as just getting getting together and having discussions with young children or teenagers about the history of the business and who started it and 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 how they might play a role in it one day and what that process might be just to manage expectations because when expectations are not aligned and you're mixing family and business it's a it's a dangerous combination so it can be i think the sooner the better and it can be very simple and very informal it doesn't have to be big and complex Okay. Yeah. No, I would 100% agree with starting sooner rather than later because you certainly are laying that groundwork for uh, your your children in, in terms of again what, whether you have a family business or not. I think a lot of these uh, these uh, the, the kind of ways of thinking and, and governance creation is really important just for any parent child relationship. Um, what what sort of specific kind of just playing on this. So, okay, you have a very informal process maybe, but what what sort of specific things can families look to to maybe put in place that could kind of get this ball rolling a little bit? You know, we talked last uh, last podcast on maybe having something in writing. Um, is there is there sort of a, an easy way to put something down in writing that gets this process going? Yeah, so a couple of things. Your, your first comment about... Um, it, you made me think about the fact that even families without wealth or without a business, just a regular middle class family could benefit from a sort of a, forward, a form of governance. Again, not yeah. something formal, but how do we make decisions, right? Let, sitting down and saying, here's the amount of money we can afford for college. If you get good grades in high school and you can get into college, here's what we can afford. We can afford to send you to two years of county college. And then if you get into a four year, we can pay for half of that or whatever the case may be. That's a form of governance for just the regular old family, managing expectations about the assets the family has and how they will be used. It can include we're not paying for college at all. So you better study hard and find a way to get a scholarship. But, you know, that sort of governance could be much more friendly term um, and, and does not even need to involve business or significant wealth. So just wanted to make that something you said sort of triggered that. Um, in terms of your, your next question, some of the just sort of simple ways of simple methods of governance, um, like I mentioned, the, you know, the vision and mission statements, again, even families that don't have a business or wealth can benefit for, for these. But because of the complexity and the shared, you know, the sharing of assets uh, that affect each other's lives, um, it's, it's so much more beneficial to have them. Uh, in those situations with business and wealth, um, you know, actual value statements where you, there's so many different exercises out there. I have decks of cards, lots of 
people in the field that I'm in have these kinds of things. You can Google and find a million of them. You know, go through a list of values and sit down as a family and say, what are our values as a family? Are these reflected in our in our business? Um, and why or why not? And I recommend even when people say, yeah, these are our top five values. We agree on them as a family. We have an operating business and they um, we all agree that these are values for our business. Can you do better? Um, do our non-family team members understand the values and how to really um, live them in the day-to-day of the business? Ask your non-family team members, um, here, you know, here's our value statement. Tell us anonymously or otherwise, do you think we're living by them? Look for ways to find how you might not be living uh, as closely to your value statement as you think you are. That's a, that, you know, that's for me, that's a form of governance and it's not formal or complicated at all. You frequently see when you walk into a company, especially family businesses, the values statements on the wall. Well, do, do a little legwork and make sure that you're really living by them. And if you're not, you know, maybe reassess. Um, agreeing on meritocracy. I talk about this all the time. It's one of the great destroyers of family business. Meritocracy is when you earn your way into an organization, a business, a position. You earn it. Um, And a lot of times in family, out of a sense of fairness between family lines or between siblings, um, meritocracy and earning is set aside for some other definition of fairness that means each of my three kids or cousins or grandkids um, should have the same amount or same responsibility or same role. Um, and that tears, tears both the family and the business apart frequently as much as anything else. Sit down, have a conversation about, can we really, uh, do we commit to meritocracy? Is it important? Are we willing to make the painful decisions as a family ownership group around meritocracy? Because there are painful decisions around meritocracy. It means maybe two siblings uh, get a role in the business and one doesn't for any number of reasons. That's really hard. Uh, but the only other choice is to not do it that way and have bigger problems from from not doing it. When I first opened up Copper Beach, uh, my main f- hope was that Michael would step in as a JD on staff. But I wasn't sure if he if he was gonna like the business. I didn't know. Yeah. I I know he he liked, seemed to like taxes uh, when he was in law school and estate planning. But until you get involved, you really don't know. So. I bet on Michael coming into the firm and sharing my values and catching on to what we do here. And to my to my uh, wonderful surprise, not only did he <clears throat> fall in love with the processes, he really likes the tax side and the estate side. It became an intricate part of Copper Beach and its growth. And through the through, along the way, I've offered my two girls a position here. And they both said, Dad, I don't do math, which is the biggest joke in the world. But they stated <laughs> they, had other, they had other goals, and I didn't distract them from those goals or, or distract them from those goals. I just said, I just don't want you coming back to me some, somewhere down the road and saying, Dad, you never really offered me a position. So the positions were offered. They went other directions, and Michael now works with me in the firm. And just shortly, just recently, I gave Michael half of the value of the firm. Because he's earned it, so he's 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 got the value, he's got the focus. So we have our little governance plan ourselves here. But I, but I think small businesses have to go through that process. Don't you agree? Yeah, no, it's 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 essential, and to open the conversation and to talk about fairness and what does fairness mean and why, and hopefully in the situation you brought up, you know the the other siblings understand why something went Michael's way that. That didn't go their way, if I understood that correctly. 
one question I had with uh, that just popped into my head, Jeff, is have you ever come across uh, a family member? Let, let's say, I, well, first off, I would imagine that the G one is typically the the, the uh, catalyst for this governance conversation amongst the family. But have you come across any other family members that really were resistant to this process? You know, they didn't want any part of it. They thought it was, you know, uh, not necessary or just not needed at all. And if so, what sort of recommendations would you have for families that are really trying to put this in place? Yeah. So sometimes it is G1 that's resistant um, or that's for it. And sometimes it's G1 that is resistant. Um, I've seen that both ways. Um, and, and when you get into, you know, second or third, third and fourth generation, um, it's not unusual that the rising generation, the younger generation says we need governance. You guys have been too informal, you know, because the, the previous generation is usually smaller because things are growing exponentially. And so the younger generation that's bigger than the generation before them often says, man, you guys just sort of did things informally and you kind of mixed your, your you see this, you mix the business and the personal, right? Maybe the second generation, you know, had a lot of, had the boats and the, the, the recreational vehicles that were through the business. And you just can't do that another generation because there's two or three times as many people and you can't have that many boats and, you know, recreational vehicles, you know, run through the business and there's tax, you know, risks and, and, and just a lot of, liability um, risks. And so um, it's not unusual to see the younger generation. So I've seen it both ways. Sometimes it's the senior generation, sometimes it's G1, but it's often the younger generation. I'm working with two brothers now, well-educated, went to college, uh, both got MBAs. One brother went into the business right after his college and MBA. The other one worked for big banks around the, around the world before he came in. Um, the parents always knew that they were going to transition ownership of the business to to the boys, and there was a plan for for buying it, and they've been sort of paying towards that over time. But the G one father thought that the the older brother who worked there his whole career should get fifty one percent, and the other brother forty brother forty nine. When I was brought in to help them with this, the younger brother said, "Well, why should I be punished?" One, for being born second, and two, for going out in the world and, and having real experiences. Yes, my brother was here in the family business learning it and building it, but I'm bringing a lot of stuff that's really valuable by going out into the world. And so they really struggled with it. And ultimately, it was the, a governance solution, which is they're going to do 50-50, which has its risks, right? There are attorneys out there that will say never do 50-50. Well, it, hard and fast rules are tough with family. Fifty-one forty-nine disenfranchises disenfranchises someone who, you know, has possibly earned it just as much. The solution in this case is an advisory board, and so I'm actively helping them look for members of the advisory board. They're going to put together a three-member advisory board, all people outside of the family. I recommend not even using your current accountants or attorneys or anyone you know. I wouldn't serve on it. Get three people you don't know at all who have real qualifications and get them together for half a day, four times a year, it, you know, articulate your strategy, show them the numbers and the finances and let them keep you honest. And so if there's ever a decision that the two brothers 50, 50 just can't figure out together, um, you know, before it comes to the point of making a decision, the advisory board will see it coming and will help them look through it in different ways. No, nothing's guaranteed, but 5149 isn't, guaranteed either, as you see with, you know, minority shareholder lawsuits in different states. So there's always there's always uh, the possibility of going to court and going the ugly route. But 
I think in this particular situation is they're going 50-50 with a governance solution of an advisory board and everybody feels really good about it. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good story. You're right. There's no there's no right answer to that. There's always going to be risks to any of those decisions in terms of an ownership structure, but you know at the end of the day and I would imagine the family this family you're working with probably felt the same way. It's about keeping the family together first and foremost, you know, th- that you don't want to create a situation where you're going to like you mentioned, disenfranchise one, uh, you know, one of those sons, and that's going to obviously fester, and that's going to, you know, build resentment as time goes on, and you know, hopefully, uh, you resolve that. So that's that. I mean, that's a really good story. I like I like to hear stories like that. I'm glad they took part in that too, because that I'm sure is not easy for them to to go through that process. And that outside board has a different perspective too. It has a different perspective right. on the business itself. They, they're not they're an outsider. They they could really be objective and look at the world differently for the you know for the two partners. I think it's an outstanding idea. We've we've recommended that in the past building a board for families that have been receptive to it. Is they always turn around as well. Well, who who do I get on this board? Who do I trust? And to your point, Jeff, maybe it's someone you don't know, someone with experience, yeah. someone that's recommended to you. Matter of fact, uh, we have a client that at ESOP with us um, and. He was looking for board members, and I recommended a person that I trust though for 30 years. He he was recommended to the board. They accepted him. He's the leader of the board. <laughs> He's the guy that makes it all work for the company. So my client's very, uh, very pleased on that on that recommendation from us. But quality people are out there. You just got to look for them and get some recommendations. Right. And when people say, you know, who do I trust? They tend to think, who do I know that I trust? I was talking right. to a very well-known wealth manager who is a former sort of rock, well-known rock star kind of person and now has a practice in the Philly area. And we were just chatting and he asked me what I thought about his idea for having a board for his own firm. He's a wealth manager now and he was talking about for his firm and he was naming these people. I said, who are they? They're like, well, they're you know different guys I've known for a really long time. We play golf together. I said, I don't like any of them. I want someone who's going to tell you the truth, <laughs> not somebody who's going to want to kiss your butt. And that's a true what a true board should be, yeah, not exactly. butt kissing, but truth telling. Big, big, important aspect of that. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. All right, so let's. I, I'd like to get back if you, if we can. Um, this concept of this constitution, because you actually started last podcast with with the U.S. Constitution when you were going through yeah. the concept of governance, and you brought up you know all of the decisions that our founders had to make to create the U.S. Constitution. And I think we alluded to the family constitution as being a kind of a way families can can maybe build. Uh, perhaps maybe a much more formal or complex governance structure. Can you touch on that a little bit? Maybe some things that families might want to consider incorporating into that if they're interested? Yeah, absolutely. So it's important to say that this is typically not a legal document. This is something that's considered more of a a, a morally binding uh, document than a uh, um, than a legal document. Right. Um, it, it, you know, it's it can often be signed, you know, or memorialized. By the family, but but it's important to know that it's typically not done for for legal reasons. Um, but it's important governance structure. Um, there's usually a preamble, which is the why. Um, Simon Sinek is a big speaker and writer now. It's kind of all about the why, but the why has been a question around longer than him. And the preamble is the why. Why are we doing this? What are we looking to accomplish as a family? Um, it's important to put process before specific structures. So. 
Um, while it's important to get sort of different aspects of the constitution in the family constitution in writing, it's also really important to have a process. Who's going to be involved in this? How can we be inclusive? How can we have voices from people in different generations, owners and non-owners? Um, you know, articulate the family values and goals. Um, rules for ownership are typically written down. Um, dividends, you know, are we looking to to throw off as many dividends as possible? Um, or are we looking to invest in a business and grow it for the long term? Are, are we intending to keep people um, you know, in, in, a, in a high level of income without having to work? Or is the value that we wanna be a family that works even when we have the money uh, to not have to work and we'd rather plow it into the business or into charity or something? It's just getting clear on all those you know, pieces. What are the rights of shareholders, uh, a family employment policy that I've talked about would be part of it. Um, there can be, you know, rules and guidelines about shared vacation homes, right? Often, um, you know, families, when they create wealth, will buy a nice vacation home somewhere, and then you have the kids, and then you have the grandkids. When you get to that third generation, a lot of cousins can share a vacation home, and everybody wants it July 4th weekend. So you can have sort of policies about how that's handled. Um, a family council can be created in the Constitution and, and defined. Um, a family bank where the fam family will invest with very specific ground rules. And there could be a whole committee around the family bank and who can get investments and, you know, what are the interest rates and how are they figured and what's expected of, you know, the, the, the loan to the family member and does it get paid back and how all of that can go into a family constitution. So it can be as simple as just starting again with the vision and the mission and the basic, you know, rights and responsibilities of owners, kind of the way the family articulates it. And it can it can be as complex as, as you want. But really what's so essential is that there's a process. It's not just throwing together paragraphs, but a process. How, how are we going to go about this? Who gets a voice? Let's participate together. The, and, and the senior generation and all generations positively modeling for one another. This is how we come together. This is how we make decisions. This is how we come and, and, and gather around um, you know, a common voice. This is how we speak with a common voice, which is what a family ownership group is going to have to do you know, to the board of directors uh, you know, if this thing grows into a, a really large uh, organization. Um, I could also say a little bit about a, a very a much more complex for when things get very large, I can give you an example of sort of how that might look. Would that be helpful? Yeah, please. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you get really large, you know, you might have, I mentioned before a family assembly, which is like a whole family reunion. So imagine you have a family that has several operating businesses. Maybe it has a holding company, um, you know, above all the operating businesses, each of the, each of the operating businesses might have a board of directors, then the holding company has a board, so that, that guides the holding company in its, in its decisions about the several operating businesses underneath it. So you might have a family assembly where the whole family comes, and it's like a family reunion. It can be at a resort, and I facilitated at these, and it's really wonderful and fun. And it's part just pure family reunion. Here's the family history, and maybe the younger generation, the teenagers, whip up a PowerPoint about the history of the family. It might include some stuff about the business because that's part of the legacy. And it's this whole kind of family reunion sort of thing. But then it gets split up into family things and business things. So the, the PowerPoint about the history is a family thing. Um, and 
part of the family activities might be a family council, which is another form of governance. So the family council really, people use this term a lot of different ways out there in the field. I really feel like a family council is when, a, when an enterprising family gets to a certain size, you need to have representative governance between the voice of the family um, and not just owners, but family owners and non-owners, but a voice of the family that speaks through the family council to the business through the board of directors. So a giant family has representative governance in this family council, and the family can try to speak with one voice, which is hard. I've worked with families where a hundred cousins owned an operating business together, wow. and they were hesitant to put in governance because everybody sort of liked the power they had. Nobody had to work. Uh, but that can't go on forever. And they were starting to feel the pain of nobody working, everybody getting big checks. And so we were working with them to to put in a family council. But a family council would be part of this, this large family assembly weekend. And that's, again, the liaison between the family and the board, in this case, the between the family and the the board of the holding company. So it's a way for the family to have high level level input through the family council to the board of the holding company. And then the board of the company, the board of the holding company says, okay, this is what the family ownership group wants. This is what the family wants. Um, and we can, you know, uh, bring that strategy down to the the various holding companies. I, I have a, a, a uh, an image of this, a graphic. So doing it by audio, I hope that's clear. But you know, in this really large situation, you've got the family activities. That's more like a reunion. You've got business activities like the family council meets. Um, another family activity might be an education and development committee. So that would be where, you know, young adults who are just learning about the legacy and the business can find out how they can have an internship, what the family employment policy is, how they might try to, um, get an internship and even be employed by the, the family business. They can learn about that. It can coordinate with, uh, if there's a family foundation, people in the family can, you know, learn about the family foundation, how they might be involved, make suggestions for causes that are important for the foundation to get involved with. That's on the family side of this big weekend. And then uh, there's the business side, the family ownership group, the family members who own um, can have a separate meeting and they can coordinate with the family council. And you might have a presentation by the board of the holding company. Um, and, and so you have some business elements too for, and you, and there's, you know, ground rules for who, um, participates in, in each of those and people know what they are. Uh, is that's kind of hard to explain with just words and without a graphic. Do you, do you get a sense of that or do you need me to clarify? Oh, absolutely. It, yeah. It's, it's, it could be very complex, but, when you have large situations like that, it has to be. Yeah, you have to have all those components, right. or you run into a wall every every once in a while. So I, I think it's critical. Yeah, Jeff. I I think unfortunately we're out of time, and and this was a pretty awesome podcast. I mean, just the amount of information that you're able to give our audience is, I think, pretty unbelievable. I, you, you, can de you definitely tell your passion with regard to this particular topic, but even the other podcasts that we had, it it is readily apparent to me. Um, you know, the passion that you have for what you do. So this has been great. Uh, before we sign off, there's two things Thanks. I'd like you to, to say. Number one is if anyone's out there listening, how can they, how can they reach out to you? How can they get in contact with you if they maybe feel like they have uh, a need to create this governance structure? How could they reach out to you? And number two, any last thoughts that you may have to kind of sum up uh, both these podcasts that we just did. Well, thanks for the kind words. Uh, it's Jeff Savlov, S-A-V-L-O-V. -V. My company is blumandsavlov.com, B-L-U-M-A-N-D-S-A-V-L-O-V. 
Blumensavlov.com. That's kind of a mouthful, Blumensavlov.com. Uh, last thoughts, you know, it, when I tell people what I do for a living, when I start to explain it, they inevitably talk about nightmarish situ you know, situations that you see either, you know, like Succession, the fictional um, program or actual things that are out there. And what I'd like to say is when you really take the time to start early, to be thoughtful and intentional, to do even the simplest forms of governance, which could be just sort of raising your kids to be responsible and accountable, uh, when done the right way, there's a lot of beauty in terms of families who get along and really have a common vision and create and, and uh, sustain various kinds of enterprises. And it can be really beautiful. Um, so while it's easy to go to the worst case scenarios, when you take the time to really not just grow the wealth or the business, but to really manage the way the family interplays with it um, and do it in a thoughtful way, um, it can turn out great. And it's really some beautiful situations that are really heartwarming. Yeah, that's that's a great end to these two podcasts. Jeff, thank you so much for thanks, being on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Gentlemen, again, fantastic content, fantastic podcast. Uh, I want to thank both of you for bringing Jeff back on. Jeff, of course, thank you for being here. And the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.